official the world has gone mad so buckle up oh and you might want to wear this jacket because it's going to be a ride and here to show you the reins is dan newman yeah it's monday morning after a wild weekend and it's getting wilder and wilder and wilder how are you how was your weekend thank you for starting your monday morning at tnn live We never take you for granted, folks. We're so glad you're here. It's a choice that we make, all of us. We make it here at TNN Live, Truth News Network. We do this because of you, by the way. (laughs) Yes, because of you, our friends. You're part of our family, and we so appreciate you taking and making that decision, your decision. It's a really big thing. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. There were so many things going on around us that were good. I mean, athletics are in full gear. We've got two professional football leagues that are out there playing every weekend. We have PGA Golf had the tournament this past weekend down in New Orleans. And then, of course, we have Major League and Minor League Baseball going on, women's softball. It's a great time of year. It's spring. We all know that. I don't know where you live, but where I am, Right now, today, it's not quite like it's spring. Temperatures down in the 50s, close to the 50-degree mark. That's not supposed to happen in Louisiana, but it has. Whatever is thrown our way, we're going to make the best of it, aren't we? Weather, chaos in government, not knowing what's going on, fear, all of those things rolled in together. Make it tough to deal with those Horrible things in our lives, many of which we don't even know, we don't understand. It's one of those icky feelings like, you know, there's something there, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Wow, we're going to get started in just a moment. Let me just say this. Congressman Mike Johnson, he joins us at the top of the next hour. I'm going to challenge him. I'm going to challenge the congressman about the things, the three top things I'm going to ask you. Three top things that he feels like we face in Congress, our Congress, today, and give us some answers about what's going on in our administration. Congressman Mike Johnson, a friend of this show, he's a personal friend of mine. He's my congressman, 4th Congressional District in Louisiana. And he's a good Christian guy, by the way. Yeah, I was in a uh, town hall meeting that he held in our city about 10 days ago. We're going to get started maybe asking some questions with you. You know those whatever questions? Here's Stephen De- De- uh, Chapman. I made a list, wrote down from A to Z. All the ways I thought that you could best use me. Told all my strengths and my
about my health I do not inhale never have at least on purpose but anyway I uh, looked over and I said thinking about cigar I guess I'm I'm just showing you how old I really am <laughs> getting close to 70 years old my goodness I'm gonna catch my wife she's already 70 but I'll be there shortly and I'm glad that when I look in my rearview mirror <clears throat> I'm on the right side of the dirt right now having, as Rush Limbaugh said, assumed room temperature. First time I heard him say that, almost spit out. I was drinking a soft drink when I heard it. That's a great way to talk about death, huh? Yeah, we haven't assumed room temperature yet, so we're still kicking. Hey, listen, I want to start today, and today is going to be a little different. If you just joined us, Mike Johnson, Congressman, will be with us at 10 o'clock this morning. And we're going to wade into some of the, I guess, the the circus stuff going on in Washington, D.C. with the congressman. But I want to start the show talking about a guy named Stephen Friend. Yeah, Friend, just like you spell it when you think about it, F-R-I-E-N-D. He is a FBI special agent. So extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. You've heard that your entire life. 
So question is, why would he, Stephen Friend, who's an FBI special agent, already told you that, why wouldn't he want to hunt down and jail any of those rioters who killed police officers at the U.S. Capitol January 6, 21? I mean, that that's what he joined the FBI for, you know, to fi- ferret out the, the bad people and hold them accountable. Well, that question, why would he not want to do that, go find those people, um, the justification for him even asking it and the accuracy of his question were troubling. Back in August of 2022, he was asked that by his boss at the FBI. So friends said when he was asked, he said, I responded back that no police officers were killed by any of the individuals who were charged with the violence at the Capitol on January 6th. And we're not supposed to say that. I mean, the narrative has been perpetrated by the legacy media that day and going forward. You know, we, we made it feel like there were dozens and dozens of people that were shot and killed by those evil perpetrators of violence at the Capitol. So at the time this question was asked and answered, Friend had just transferred from Iowa, the FBI in Iowa. I would imagine that's kind of a slow job there. Not a lot of criminality going on, not a lot of violence across the state of Iowa. But he got transferred to the FBI in Florida. Friend had just lodged a complaint against what he saw and perceived as heavy-handed tactics that were in the planning against those January 6th suspects down in Florida. So Agent Friend was sitting was sitting with an FBI assistant special agent in charge. He had to correct some of the misinformation that was being used in those conversations to justify going after those so-called terrorists from January 6th. He said there was this pause for a few seconds, like that was new information to him, talking about friend is about that special agent. I was never anything that had crossed this agent's mind. This fork in the road for this special agent, friend, came out of his concern about what the FBI was planning, his boss was planning, to use a tactical team to arrest a misdemeanor January 6th suspect. Now think about it. The FBI, the most prominent law enforcement agency on the planet, they're going to arrest a guy, and not just arrest a guy, they're going to go do the early morning thing where they call the TV stations, helicopters overhead, they storm this guy's house, and he was only going to be charged with a misdemeanor. That kind of force against a non-violent subject, it raised some constitutional issues with Agent Friend. He said, I express that I have an oath of office. And while I'm aware that an arrest warrant is a legal order from a judge, I have an oath to protect the Constitution. I felt that us being outside the rules with following our case procedures was a potential breach of the Sixth Amendment for due process. This guy kind of knows what he's talking about when it comes to the law and the Constitution. 
So the arrestee, the person in question, had already been in contact with the FBI. He was interviewed by FBI agents. Yet, even though they knew everything had been with them, with this guy and everybody knew everybody, plans were set to go in heavy for his arrest. There's a whole list of methods that you can use to bring somebody into custody that doesn't involve the use of a tactical team. That really is the utmost highest level of enforcement. This is Agent Friend talking. He said he was told he was being a bad team member and he shouldn't report for work the next day. Then he was counted as absent without leave. They call that AWOL in the military. His security clearance was suspended. September 19th, a month later, he was suspended from his job. His income dropped to zero and he wasn't allowed to seek any outside work. And his convictions about the law and the Constitution were just beginning to be tested. It got a lot worse. The use of force objection of his, it ended up being just the beginning of his concerns with the FBI. He moved his family to Florida to work on human trafficking investigations. That's a subject that he's really close to. It's in his heart. The sexual trafficking of minors and young adults, it's exploded into a real, urgent national crisis. But he was reassigned from that role to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, investigating and hunting down January 6th suspects. He called out what he saw as a deviation from the FBI's norms, their case management protocols. He thinks those were employed to create the illusion that domestic terrorism is a much bigger issue than it really is. They've chosen to open hundreds of cases, then spread them around the country, he said. That gives everybody the impression that domestic terrorism is a nationwide threat, when really, the numbers the FBI is touting come from one incident on one day. Think about that. One incident that happened on one day. That's a problem for the country, he said. The FBI is supposed to stand for law and order, but instead... The FBI is raising the temperature. Friend said he can sit across the table from somebody with opposite political views and have a respectful conversation about corporate taxes or some other issue. That individual will never have that conversation with me if he thinks I'm a member of the Taliban. The FBI is contributing to that by making the rest of the country think that half of the nation's citizens are domestic terrorists. I've never thought about that. But isn't that a fact? Half the nation is conservative. According to Hillary Clinton, half the nation fit into a basket of deplorables. And since January 6th, the Democrats' legacy mainstream media They call every conservative, anybody that's not a hardcore leftist Democrat, you're a domestic terrorist. Friend said, we're never going to be able to have the conversations that are necessary to address some really important issues. In an email letter to Friend, dated April 21st, the FBI demanded redactions 
on 36 pages of his book. Hey, 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 he wrote a book in the FBI after they fired him or demanding that he redact certain parts of 36 pages in the book, including all the contents on pages 85 to 110. So, former FBI special agent, he got fired because of an opinion, an opinion that turns out to be factual, by the way. And now his ex-boss is trying to shame him and intimidate him to do something because he told the truth. Here's what the FBI letter said, quote, your manuscript was reviewed pursuant to the terms of the pre-publication review policy, and we concluded some of the information presented falls within a restricted area of disclosure that was written by FBI's Joseph Bender Jr., acting chief of the FBI Record Information Dissemination Section. Pre-publication approval is contingent upon removal of the redacted information, his letter said, as shown in the attached version. There's no objection to the remainder of your work as presented. So Friend said, and by the way, he went to the media, <laughs> the real media. Friend said he's equally upset by how the process of January 6th cases, they all end up punishing every suspect before they even get a day in court. We've told you the stories here about people being in jail for two years. Totally horrible circumstances. Forget about the rule of law. Forget about the Constitution. You know, a speedy trial. Many of these people are charged and just stuck in a hole, and it's like they threw away the key. For many people who are being interviewed by the FBI, there's no case to be built against them. It might be stemming from an anonymous tip where there's no cell phone GPS information, no facial recognition software. The FBI is still knocking on that person's door. Imagine if that happens to you. I mean, maybe you just decided to take a trip one day, and it happened in 2021. Look, this government, they've proven they're going to do anything they want to do. Their operating procedure about everything is it doesn't matter if it's legal or not. It doesn't matter if it's constitutional or not. We're going to go ahead and do it. Nobody can impeach us because we control the Senate. The House has a slim majority, so if they're going to try to impeach us, if they get through the House, nothing's going to happen in the Senate. And oh, by the way, the administrative executive orders that our president signs almost daily giving away the world. A lot of that's unconstitutional, but they can't impeach Joe Biden. He'll never get taken out of office. So we're just going to go ahead and run with it. If the courts, if the courts come against us, by the time that process takes place, we'll already have done all the damage we want to do. Agent Friend interviewed one suspect who was at former President Donald Trump's speech at the Ellipse that day. Then he walked to the Capitol, did this guy. He asked Capitol Police if he could go into the go into the Congress, the Capitol. And he was told it was okay. 
He doesn't even walk beyond the red velvet rope. He walked to the Capitol for a few minutes and left. We asked him, did you take anything? He told us apologetically that he had taken a free brochure that was available for anybody who was touring the Capitol. He took it as a keepsake. Friends said that guy told him this story inside a law office, which I'm sure was not free for him. He also told us that was the biggest mistake of his life. Why? Because he'd already lost his career. He might never face jail time, and if he does, it'll probably be minimal. But even if he never sits inside a jail, even if he's never charged with a crime, he's been punished for doing something that was okay and legal. Most FBI agents look at January 6th as a criminal matter for some people. Friends said, we're all fully aware that there's been a tendency to overcharge, to truly reach into the corners and try to scoop everybody up. And the rumbling message that we've heard, we hear it every day. The FBI wants to make a point to charge everybody that possibly can be charged because of how huge that event was on January 6th and what happened. Former special agent said it's a misallocation of resources. I think that's what happens when political agenda marries opportunism. There's some true believers, some people who genuinely feel January 6th was the worst day in the history of our country. There are other Americans who think it was just a four-hour disturbance, probably 50-50. Probably half the nation believes one side of that, half the nation believes the other. For the true believers, he said, they feel they're on a righteous mission. And for others, they see this as the largest, most important case they're ever going to encounter in their FBI careers. And it behooves them to jump on that if they have ambitions for promotion, for awards, anything else like that. When you have incentive to do that, you put that together with individuals who are true believers. That just makes for a tostic stew. For Agent Friend, being an FBI special agent, that was his dream job. He got his degree at Notre Dame. He found his way into law enforcement back in 2009. He worked as a sworn police officer in Savannah, Georgia for four years before he joined the FBI in 2014. He investigated violent crimes on Indian reservations. That was up in northeast Nebraska for seven years before being transferred to Daytona Beach to investigate crimes against kids. He said it's all he ever wanted to do, and for eight years he got to do it. He said he felt like He really did a good job, certain, certainly not a troublemaking employee who was looking to burn the bridge up behind him as he walks out the door. He said he always kept politics out of his police work. But in early 2023, Washington politics came looking for Agent Friend. He was invited to sit for a transcribed interview with the House Select Subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government in 2023. 23 February, that's two months ago. He resigned from the Bureau the day of his testimony, making him free to speak his concerns before Congress. He said the Republican majority allowed him to present his story and air his concerns about the FBI. 
while the Democrat minority lobbed accusations at him after they generated, listen to this, a 300-page report and leaking cherry-picked sections to FBI-friendly legacy media. The report accused Friend and others of espousing conspiracy theories, and they gave no proof of that. After all, it's the FBI. We can say what we want. Everybody's got to believe us, cuz, with the FBI. The inference was made by the FBI that Friend was a grifter. You know why? Listen to this. After he lost his six-figure salary with the FBI during his suspension, he took a $5,000 check from a charity headed by former Trump aide Cash Patel. One Democrat attorney showed Friend a photograph of a January 6th suspect wearing a helmet, body armor, and asked Friend, does that look like somebody who went there that day to do something good? He looks bad, Friend said. He probably did some really bad things that day. He probably should get arrested for them, get charged with them. It would really be a shame if we lost a trial because we violated his civil rights. Friend said that that particular statement was his might drop moment in front of Congress. A wish that had been in front of an open hearing, he said. You know, I was really proud of of doing that and saying that. He hopes to go back for public testimony before that same subcommittee, along with fellow FBI whistleblowers Kyle Serafin, Garrett O'Boyle, and George Hill. Friend has a book on his experience due out in July from Post Hill Press. He started a new job. He's an analyst now with the Center for Renewing America, where he already published an article titled Top 10 Systemic Issues Within the FBI. Later this week, you'll see his article here at truthnewsnet.org. Friend said he did his best to make peace with leaving the FBI, starting with a talk with his attorney a couple of days before he was suspended. We kind of had our come-to-Jesus talk, he said. Have you accepted that they're never going to bring you back? Now, he was just suspended at this point. And he told his lawyer, yeah, because that's a challenge that I have with a lot of my whistleblower clients. The lawyer said they ultimately want to get their job back. And you just have to know that's not going to happen. Now, why did I start the show this morning with that story? This epitomizes where our government is not headed that way. We're already there. We are absolutely in the middle of this. And maybe, just maybe, we're looking at the final step of a authoritarian wannabe government that's just seeing how much of our rights Those rights that are so important, they came in the Constitution, the original version of it. Every one of them were there. But our forefathers knew that if they did not specifically pile all of those rights up, all of them, especially those important ones, and restate those in amendments in the Constitution, restate them to the federal government, that all of the rights 
that are enclosed in these 10 amendments. We want you to understand, federal government, none of these rights do you own. You have no authority to use them unless and until we, the people, one at a time, authorize you and we hand those rights over to you. Until that happens, if it ever does, you can't go there unless we individually authorize you to do that. Maybe, just maybe, we are headed down that road right now. I'm serious, folks. This is not a conspiracy theory. We're going to bring you some stories in just a little bit. And at the top of the next hour, Congressman Mike Johnson joins us, and he's going to talk to I'm going to I'm going to pin him on several things. We need facts and we're not getting them. But let me tell you this. I'm not stupid. And I know none of you are stupid. You're fact finders, you're looking for proof, you're looking for facts and you come here to get some ideas. We're all holding on to hope that this government is going to straighten itself out. It's going to stop this egregious top-down pushing, prodding, doing everything they can to take total control of every part of your life, my life, and the lives of, right now, about 5 million illegals that have come into the nation on Joe Biden's watch. They want to control everybody, and they want to build a majority, a supermajority, that will give them perpetual power. Oh my gosh, we're just getting started. More of this, right after this. Making the convoluted rhetoric of politics understandable, digestible, actionable. TNN, the Truth News Network. Rose knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize project needs new tools. Yes. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the... I, I smell, uh... Something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure. I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal. Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. George Orwell said freedom is the right to tell someone what they don't want to hear. Today, that's called the truth. At truthnewsnet.org. 
Here's Dan Newman. And I, I must be honest, there are a lot of things that I hear that I really don't like hearing them. And I'm sure you're in that same boat. A lot of things you feel are out there and you feel are real. Sometimes you just don't want to know about it. And so you'll kind of, oh man, I hope I find out that's not factual. I hope what I'm thinking might be going on is really not what's going on. I sat last night, yesterday evening, with a a go-away for a young couple that are leaving our town after growing up their entire lives here, and they're going down to southwest Florida to take a job down there and to be closer to their children. All their children are down in that part of the the U.S. and Florida. It's, It's a pretty good place to go right now, by the way. And I'm in Louisiana, and I love Louisiana. I grew up here. Our kids are here. Grandkids are here. That's that's most importantly their kids. And a couple of grandkids are down there in Florida. They're going. And I talked to some people, a couple of people that are their extended family members that I hadn't met before. Last night, conversation always turns to politics. And I sat and I just listened as three or four different of them started talking, asking and answering questions from each other about what's going on in the Biden administration. What about Ukraine? What about Russia invade, excuse me, China invading Taiwan? Is that going to happen? What about Russia and Ukraine and all of the topical questions that plague us all? I mean, we hear them every day. We have to deal with them every day. And a couple of those people, they admitted they're Democrats. And so I just listened as somebody that is obviously not a Democrat that was there asked them what they think about President Joe Biden. Not a single one expressed any positive opinion. And even Democrats, a couple of them said, I've been Democrat my whole life. They said, there's no way we can vote for him. One of them kind of snickered and said, I hate to say this, but if Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination, I'll vote for him just because I remember what my life was like, even though we were deathly afraid of Trump if he would get elected. When he got elected, he did a whole lot of good things for us. And then immediately after being elected, Joe Biden began to undo those things that Trump did that were better for us all. We just hope, this is what they said, We just hope President Biden doesn't run for re-election. So what happens in this circumstance? Over the weekend, NBC News came out with another poll. Now remember who it is. It's NBC News. So one would expect their poll results to be skewed, right? Their poll found that if Biden runs, and he is the Democrat nominee for president in the general election, only 41% of people that responded would probably or definitely vote for him in November next year. If Biden is the Democrat nominee, 47% of respondents said they would probably or definitely vote for the Republican nominee no matter who it is. That one shocked me. It shocked me. That means Biden trails by 6% today on the cusp of his expected re-election campaign that's going to launch this week. Some say he's going to announce it tomorrow. 
I would think, down 6% to a generic Republican that may not even be up yet to run for Republican. A sitting president is down 6%. That's a boon for anybody and everybody in the Republican field, which is currently led, by the way, by former President Donald Trump. Biden is expected to release a video tomorrow formally launching his 2024 re-election campaign. This NBC News poll was conducted by Heart Research Associates slash Public Opinion Strategies. They polled 800 registered voters for five days earlier this month, actually last week. And it's got an error margin of just 3.5%. That means Biden trailing by 6 is well outside the survey's margin of errors. On top of all of that, the intensity gap between Biden and a generic Republican, it's really steep and sharp. Only 21% of those respondents said they would definitely vote for Biden. 20% said they probably would. And when it comes to the eventual Republican nominee, 39%, they definitely would vote for that person if that person's running against Biden. 8% said they probably would vote for the Republican. That means the definitely voting for the GOP nominee numbers are technically in a virtual tie with Biden's combined probably and definitely numbers. Now, I don't know how you feel about polls. Polls are based on opinions. Everybody has opinions, and everybody has a right to have a different opinion from somebody else or anybody else. We get those rights from that thing called the United States Constitution that lay it all out in strict detail. Our president is an attorney, even though he lied about how good he was and in his uh, undergraduate degree in law school, he's still an attorney. He served in the U.S. Senate for almost 50 years. He knows the law, and therefore he is purposely attacking the rule of law with his policies and the way he's handling governing this nation. People aren't stupid either. (laughs) I'm telling you. People get it. They get him. They get him. And they watch what he does and what he doesn't do. And it doesn't make any sense to an American who loves the rule of law, who believes in the rule of law, and who believes in our government that is the greatest government in world history, a representative republic, where no individual or even a small group of people actually govern us, even though it seems like it may have been gone a long time ago, we still, our government, is still government of the people, by the people, and for the people. They're trying to push it. They're trying to push it away from that. And we're fighting to keep that from happening. In fact, I'll be honest with you, we're not going to let it happen. But it's tough. And we, the people, we've got to stand up and be counted, and we've got to make our voices known. Let me just say this. None of this is funny. None of it's humorous. But sometimes you just, especially when you look at President Biden, 
you hear what he says. Everything he says is quoted over and over and over again, both by his supporters and his detractors. And you can begin to watch a trend, not just about this president, but any president, and kind of get a sense on where that president's political career is going to go if there even might be one after a presidential term. Most guys, at least in the last few decades, serve back-to-back terms. Why is that? In most cases, it's because they did a pretty good job in the opinion of the voters in America. This guy, this case... I just don't see that happening. And when the late night talk show hosts start laughing at anybody who's in the Oval Office, it's just not a good thing. Jimmy Fallon, listen to Fallon, where he took this with a comedy piece, a little bitty short piece on his show last Friday. Meanwhile, today, President Biden spoke about the economy, and he said that addressing inflation is his top domestic priority. Yep, Biden knew it was time to act when milk and gas both hit $9 a gallon. (laughs) But while Biden was speaking about the economy, he really tried to express to Americans that he feels their pain when it comes to inflation, although I'm not sure about his choice of words. Well, watch this. Look, I know you got to be frustrated. I know. I can taste it. (laughs) Wow. Americans heard and responded with a resounding, ew, that's... Every American can easily draw the opinion that Fallon was expressing and showing when he said every American did a unilateral, universal you when the president said that. Now that doesn't happen in the case when somebody's in leadership that's doing a good job. There's so much that is being exposed every day, more and more of it. And I got to be honest, I, um, and I need to quit saying I got to be honest. I am honest when I talk to you. More and more has come out about the entire Hunter family debacle and much, much more is going to come out. There will be things that come out this week. It'll be another one of those things, just like the Fallon thing when uh, when Joe Biden, President Biden said what he did. A lot of Americans went, ew, that sounds icky. More of that's going to come out. Meanwhile, Hunter's lawyers are meeting this week with U.S. Prosecutor David Weiss and one Justice Department official after an IRS agent alleged the improper politicization of a tax probe into the president's son, all the while, while our Attorney General Mayor Garland refuses to name a special counsel in the case. In other words, the everyday IRS agents, they've been pushing to prosecute Hunter Biden, and the big boss, Attorney General Mayor Lagarden, has been pushing it back, not letting it happen. As far back as May of 2019, Hunter's been under investigation by the DOJ for tax fraud, money laundering, violation of lobbying laws. 
the stuff that he has done in any one of those three areas, if you or I had done it, we would be locked up in some federal prison for decades. Federal prosecutors that are led by this special counsel guy, prosecutor, Weiss, have reportedly considered charging Hunter over a year ago for three tax crimes, one gun crime. So far, Hunter's avoided indictment. Prosecutors could bring charges against him. Sources with the investigation told CNN it's imminent. Yeah, right. And you said, just like I said, (laughs) I'll believe it when it happens. In the coming days, this case is going to be discussed between the Department of Justice, Weiss, Hunter's attorney. Multiple sources are saying it is going to happen. And apparently Hunter's lawyers are the ones that are asking for the meeting. I wonder what this could be. Plea deal, bargaining. On Wednesday last week, an IRS whistleblower said that two Biden administration political appointees within the DOJ are working to block the charges against Hunter for tax violations, and they're doing that against the recommendations of the ones that actually did the investigations. In addition, these IRS agents, they're confident that Garland refused to name a special counsel in that probe to provide a degree of separation between the probe into Hunter and the probe into President Biden, and there's one of those going on right now. I don't know if you knew that or not. The probe into Hunter, it could, that's what we're told, it could implicate Joe Biden and almost certainly will. One witness who testified before the jury was reportedly asked to identify the big guy. Garland insists that Prosecutor Weiss has the authority to bring those charges against Hunter, but Garland has noted he would personally have to authorize any potential charges against Hunter. Senator Ron Johnson, you know, the more I see him out there, he's a Republican from Wisconsin. I like him a lot. He is a worker bee. He thinks Garland and Biden are guilty for these alleged abuses. Under President Biden and Attorney General Garland, America's not equally applying justice and the rule of law. They're both equally culpable and responsible for abuse alleged by the IRS whistleblower. Now, why are you bringing us these kind of things, Dan? You do this every day. I want you to know what's out there and then challenge you to go verify. It's that simple. These are things you need to know about. You know, so many things we hear. Have you heard about the history textbook debacles that have spread across the nation. These companies, and I I think McGill is one of the big ones, there are some really big textbook companies out there, and they hire people to write the details into the specific text, like math, history, all those kind of things. And over the weekend, I was watching a show, and we may, if we have time today, again, Mike Johnson's going to be with us in probably 15 minutes or so. After that, if I get a chance, I'm going to tell you about it, but it involves them actually changing in the textbooks, actually lying about things that 
would make any Republican that's been in office, especially Donald Trump, would make them look good. In other words, they don't want to tell about the good things, but they want to make things up, the writers of these history books, and they roll that out, and it sounds like the GOP, everybody that is a Republican or a conservative of any kind, are lunatics. Seriously. That's actually out there. What's going on? It is flipped. Our government is doing everything they can do with the concerted effort and participation by legacy media to flip the narrative away from factual to somehow prove, not with facts, but with ideology that they promote, that any conservative is what they say conservatives are, crazy idiots that don't understand and refuse to accept the truth. Let me give you an example. AOC. She was out over the weekend to some of the talk shows, and she was on MSNBC's Inside. She said the Republican Party is trying to roll back all of the civil liberties of women and LGBTQ Americans. I'm going to quote the congresswoman from New York. I think we're in an extremely serious moment. I believe that the Republican Party is not starting at row. They will not stop at row. They will not stop at women's rights. And she continued, I believe what we're seeing is a concerted rollback of civil liberties in general. Our right to privacy, our right to bodily autonomy, all right to marry whomever we wish to marry, all of this is at risk. I don't think they will stop. She added, there's so many people when we were warning that Roe was truly at risk called progressive hysterical. They said we're overestimating the risk that this is never going to happen. And just as we warned about Roe, we're warning about the very real risk. We're already seeing the attacks on trans Americans. We're seeing the attacks on LGBTQ Americans. We've even seen Republican members of the Senate insinuating that interracial marriage is something that should be up for debate. These are our civil rights and our civil liberties, and we have to resist. We must resist these attempts to roll back the basic human rights of certain communities in America based on identity. Do you get the picture there? In the context of what she was there for, she just painted a picture of fascism. Did you catch it when I quoted her? Quote, these are our civil rights and our civil liberties, and we have to resist. We must resist these attempts to roll back the basic human rights of certain communities in America based on identity. You want me to interpret that? Forget about the Constitution. Forget about the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, all of them. Forget about them. What you need to do is understand we have created the list of what it takes to be an American in our world as we design it. We're redesigning it. It's no longer based on the Constitution that guarantees everybody equal rights in America. Now,
now AOC and her ilk, they want to change that to our civil rights and our human rights of certain communities. We've got to protect them based not on the law, not on the Constitution, but based on identity. I don't need to define anything for you there. (laughs) I mean, you get it. You absolutely get it and you understand it. And she goes even further. She went after Republicans for wanting to do away with the Constitution. Sadly, she's out on the tour. She's doing her thing. And thousands, maybe it's MSNBC, so I started to say millions Maybe a couple of million were watching that show. And she's got a strong following among those on the left. Don't doubt for a second that she does. And there are a lot of people out there that listen to that. And because they like her, because she's a Democrat, she's a member of Congress, therefore everything she says has got to be true. Now, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) I'm sorry to say it just doesn't work that way. But we're going to be okay. I promise you, we're going to be okay. Why? Because we're grabbing the truth and we're going to hang on to it. As we head to the top of the hour, we're going to take our break. And when we come back, Mike Johnson, Congressman Mike Johnson is going to join us. But I want to tell you what Donald Trump said over the weekend. I don't think, well, it went over the weekend. It was last week at the NRA convention. He weighed in on stopping school shootings. This is very bold for any president to do or any president want to be. He was asked during an interview with uh, one news agency backstage at the NRA convention before he addressed the gathering. He asked what is causing, he was asked, what's causing the mass shootings in the country. And he gave us an answer. He said the nation's mental health crisis that's fueled by drugs that are coming across our southern border. That's the main culprit. He said more than anything else, it's mental health. A lot of it caused by drugs, the drugs that are flowing in. We had it down to about a 32-year low at the border. I heard today they're 10 times higher than just three years ago. Can you imagine that? But I think more than anything else, it's mental health by far, and a lot of that mental health is caused by drugs. So when he gave his speech, he called for a tax credit. I love this. He wants a tax credit to allow teachers, school teachers, public school teachers, who are qualified to get a firearm so they can protect vulnerable students at schools nationwide. Trump said this, if just 5% of the nation's teachers many of who are military or law enforcement veterans familiar with firearms already, then our school shootings would end. So you have teachers that are military vets, he said. I'm talking about people that know how to handle guns because that's a talent. Police officers, but you have teachers that are very good with firearms. You don't need many. I would say 5%. That'd be a lot. You could never hire that many security guards They have every bit as much talent in many cases. They're champion shooters. If they qualify at a very high level, I would let them take arms in to the schools with them. They also have the added asset of loving the students. They love 
They're students. So if they qualified, I would have them take arms in with them. In addition, I would have armed security at the front doors, but you would stop it. If people thought that randomly the teachers have guns, they wouldn't go into the schools. You let everyone know that a lot of teachers are going to have guns. Some people say 15%, but I say 5%, that's enough. If some wacko thinks that some of these teachers are going to walk in to have guns, they're experts at using guns and really know how, you're not going to have a problem anymore. They're not going to have to use them. No What is the significance of that? You remember that last school shooting, the one that happened up in Nashville, the really bad one, three adults, three kids shot by a former student. Yeah, it was a mental health issue. A trans person that wasn't thriving in their chosen uh, identity of which they embraced. That person went nuts went in and killed one person at the attached church, two other adults, and three students. Remember our story that we published years ago about how Israel handles school shootings and stopped them after the worst one in history, 1972? They isolated the schools with big fences. One entry exit, that's it. One way in, same way out. Armed guards at that entry, checking everybody in. If you don't have an appointment, you got to go see a teacher, your kids' teachers or whoever. You check in at the front gate. You don't get to leave. The person you have an appointment with comes and gets you and takes you back in. There's been one school shooting since 1972 in Israel. Here's what they did. They made it optional for any teacher that wanted to carry. Give them training. Teach them what to do and what not to do with the use of guns. There's one school violence, school shooting since then. One person died. The person that died was the terrorist that got into schools and was killed by a student that had gone through the concealed carry shooting class and that student carried and shot that terrorist. 1972. You do the math. Is that 51 years? (laughs) That's a long time. It's not working the way we're doing it now. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and hoping and expecting different results on the back end. Isn't that insanity what we're watching happen day after day after day in our nation now with the guidance of this administration? Wow. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Congressman Mike Johnson will be with us. Don't go away. I'm going to put him on point. Congressman Mike Johnson up next. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. 
It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. Language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Justice, the American way. The Truth News Network. Once again, here's Dan Newman. Joining us now, Congressman Mike Johnson. Congressman, you have a lot on your plate, and I appreciate you taking time to share with us. Absolutely. Great to be with you, as always. Uh, Enjoyed that town hall you did last Friday night, incidentally. I heard a lot of things I hadn't heard before. You do a great job in that city. Well, thanks. I think I, I talk too fast. I try to cram too much into those settings, but uh, thanks for being there. It was great. It was really encouragement to uh, see you on the front row all the way, all the way down to the front row. That was great. <laughs> That's where I sit at church, too. I, <laughs> I, I didn't get to talk to you much afterward. I was going to say you machine gun it when you talk. You're, you're, you're saying so many important things, which you do pretty much every time I've ever heard you speak. If you, if you talk too fast for people, uh, you lose some of the effect of what you're putting out there. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, what? just to, as an aside here, that, that event that we had um, used to be a two-day seminar, and then we condensed it into five hours, and now I try to do it in 90 minutes. So I think I need to edit more out of it. I think you got about a two-hour into 90 minutes the other night anyway. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> Top three things on your list of most important now. There are so many things moving. The committees that you're in, you've got, of course, a little legislative uh, stuff that comes around every once in a while. What are the top three most important right now, in your opinion? Well, I'll say for me individually, it's the I, I think the the biggest three things for the country right now, the, the most immediate, and that is the the debt ceiling negotiation, of course, that everyone is hearing so much about, and then the the federal budget, and then meanwhile, uh, all of our weaponization hearings and investigations. I, I think all of those things are uh, of immediate and top concern, not just for those of us in the House, but uh, but for many, many, of millions of American people. And I know that because when I'm out, those are the questions I'm asked about. Um, you know, we're, we're always concerned about China and what they're doing. And, um, you know, the China threat is related uh, in, in many ways to all of these things that we're working on. So um, it's a lot to, to say grace over, Dan. It's, we're, in a, we're in a very 
perilous time for the country. Everybody feels that. And, and what we're facing right now, the challenges we have right now, in so many ways are unprecedented. So there's not a playbook for how to handle a lot of this. And, and uh, all of it, I think most of these challenges are because we have weakness uh, portrayed from the White House. And that's a real, real problem for us. With respect for your time, let me launch in and just ask you a few questions. The debt limit mm-hmm. that's got to be raised at some point. It seems like every time this rolls around, we have a standoff and everybody's saying, you know, who's got the biggest? Who's going to flinch first? That's not really the best way to govern in this regard. It's a really important thing. Is Kevin McCarthy going to hold to the line, do you believe, or is he going to cave? Uh, he's going to do his best to hold that line. Look, we, we have to negotiate. The, the, the stakes are too high. Uh, if you don't raise the debt limit, we'll have a market crash. I mean, the dollar will fall. I mean, this is this is a very, very serious situation. And, of course, the, the debt limit, the debt ceiling is about paying money that government has already spent, right? This isn't, this is not uh, forecasting going forward. That's what we do with the budget. This is taking care of our responsibilities and we're not going to allow it to fall, but, but we really do need to negotiate and, and Speaker McCarthy has done so in earnest, but right now you see President Biden and Chuck Schumer have just walked away from the table and, you know, they, they want to, they're trying to play political games with this and it's, it's a dangerous thing to do. We're not going to roll over because President Biden can't jam his debt increasing budget through Congress anymore. We're not going to do that. We have to have some changes in the trajectory going forward. And we're using the debt ceiling uh, negotiation and deadline to try to force that because they're never going to agree. But it requires all parties to come to the table. And right now, the White House just isn't. We can't stay in limbo forever. The Treasury Secretary has said June, we could go into default. Why do they wait this long? Do they always expect the GOP to cave? Um, they, they do. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and traditionally, that has happened. The last time there was a standoff like this, I think it was 2011, uh, before my time in Congress. But uh, th- th- they went over the deadline and um, our credit rating took a hit, you know, the national credit rating. And so that has effects on the markets and, and individual investors and all across the board. So we know what can happen. We know the doomsday scenario, and we do re- recognize that it probably is mid-June, if not sooner, than we than, than the clock runs out. And so, you know, President Biden, in my view, is playing politics with this. He he needs to come forward. If you if you go replay the tapes of what he said years before when he was in the Senate, multiple times over, when he voted to raise the debt limit so many times, um, he he said in his own words that you shouldn't play politics with this. But now, you know, the tables have turned. So. Um, hopefully, uh, cooler heads will prevail. Hopefully, they'll they'll come forward and negotiate in good faith, and, and we can get this done. And we're not going to allow a default. I said that on Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox Business a couple of days ago. I said, everybody needs to relax. We're not going to allow the country to default on its debts. But we do have an affirmative responsibility to make sure that we are – we're taking real steps to solve our nation's debt crisis because the national debt is the greatest threat to our national security. And if we don't get that right, then everything's in jeopardy. Almost daily, we hear about something that just exposes so much fraud in this administration. Now, it looks like the entire judiciary process is under siege because people inside are just not being honest. We have what's going on with, apparently, our attorney general. And then we have the FBI. It seems to the American people, congressmen, that every day, 
all of this has been going on for a long, long time. Those 51 so-called intelligence experts that all signed that letter that was put together by now Secretary of State Antony Blinken that said the Russian um, hack thing was the laptop, Hunter's laptop. And we find out later it was not Russian disinformation. It was factual. The American people are just getting to a point where we do not trust our government. Is there any end in sight? Do you think there's going to be any accountability for any of this that could bring it to a well, close? That's, <clears throat> that's a great question, and that's what everybody asks everywhere I go, and, and the American people are demanding that, and they should. Uh, when we put the select committee uh, on the weaponization of the federal government together, as soon as Republicans took control back in the House in January, um, this this was our charge, and that is to, to investigate uh, present the facts for the American people, <clears throat> and then ultimately bring about accountability for those involved. And and even even we did not realize how wide and how deep the corruption is, Dan. And it, it is it is so unsettling to people to see it because you just named a couple of agencies, but it's it, it seemingly every federal agency under the Biden administration is overstepping their bounds and trampling on the constitutional rights of the people. And these very agencies that were designed to protect and serve the people are being used against them. And as you noted there, that that's the key point is that people are losing their faith, not only in our government agencies, but our institutions themselves. I mean, the system of justice overall. And that is a, that is a, a terrible threat to maintain and keep a Republic. You have to have the people's faith in the system itself, that it, that it's fair and, and that justice is blind. And we don't see that right now. And so what we're trying to do, our charge is to expose all the corruption, but at the same time, uh, maintain the people's faith that we'll be able to fix it. And we're going to come forward with legislative proposals on how to address these things and make sure they never happen again. And then we're ultimately going to have to hold the individuals at the top accountable uh, so that people can see that there's there's a, a consequence to this. In that vein, I guess the biggest questions we get asked on this show is how can this administration or any administration, including not just the executive branch, but Congress, allow so much everyday law-breaking going on, people rushing in across our southern border. In the millions now since Joe Biden's been president, five million is the estimate from Senator Ron Johnson. The rule of law is not being enforced by anybody. And Americans are getting desperate because we're seeing the results Every day play out. 300 people dying from fentanyl poisoning every day. And most of that is coming from China through Mexico. Is there any way we could hold someone like Secretary Mayorkas, HHS, hold him accountable because not only is he allowing it, he's encouraging it to happen. Total abandonment of the rule of law. It absolutely is, and you've seen Mayorkas take some lumps in Congress the last uh, couple of weeks when he's been on, you know, been summoned for hearings, and he's, you know, my, my colleagues, all of us are letting him have it. Um, I, I I started this four months into his term, it, it just uh, just a few months after he took the job, he came before House Judiciary because we have jurisdiction over uh, Department of Homeland Security, and uh, he, it was apparent then that this was by design everybody has to recognize this this catastrophe we have at the border and all the related catastrophes that come from it 
are because of the policy choices of this administration. They designed it this way. And and Mayorkas, under oath, looks us right in the eyes and says the border is secure. We don't have a problem. There is no crisis. I mean, it's just – it's maddening for us to face it. Now, here's the problem. Everybody wants to know. Mike, why can't you guys impeach him? Well, I've signed on to the impeachment. We we would like to pursue that, but we know right now the Senate is not going to convict him. So um, if we impeach him in the House, and we probably can, he still keeps his job because they're not going to go forward with it. So um, is it a waste of effort? Is it a waste of time? I mean, we, that's the problem. If we if we change hands and we can win back the Senate next time, and hopefully we win back the White House, we're done with this problem. But But many of my colleagues lament that if we remove Mayorkas, we impeach Mayorkas, and by the way, there hasn't been a cabinet secretary impeached in, I don't know, maybe 150 years or something. Um, we would make history that way, but then they'll just replace him. Biden will just replace him with someone who will do the same thing. So the answer is at the ballot box. The answer is the next election cycle, and I hope that people see how critical this one is. We always say, oh, the next election is so important, the most important of our lives. Look, that is not hyperbole this time. This is for all the marbles. Since you opened that can of worms up, let's talk about 2024. (laughs) Let's talk about the Mm -hmm. next election. I get asked also, will the Republican Party, can the Republican Party pull itself together and get behind a candidate? We've got everybody out there. Everybody's saying there's, I, I don't mean everybody, but most of the people that I talk to personally are fearful that we can't get somebody elected that can do and will do the job in president to pull all of this back together. We have the obvious former president there that's thrown his hat in the ring. He's way ahead in the in the uh, ratings, though it's very, very premature for that. Is the Republican Party at a point where it can pull itself together and get behind and get somebody elected with unity? It's split and it has been for quite a while you're not going to get anything done if you can't get the right person in office. Well, that, that's exactly right, and um, it's a it's a perilous time to have division in the party. I, I do believe and hope and pray, okay, that, that um, all of our candidates, however many wind up on that stage for those debates, that everyone will commit that whoever ultimately does get the nomination, that everybody falls in line and, and, and fully supports. Um, th- that should be uh, – the ultimate commitment that we demand of all of them. And you look, I, virtually every name that's been announced already or is, is planning to announce are all good friends of mine. They're all, you know, many of them are former colleagues. And of course I'm very close to Donald Trump. And, um, you know, we, we have the, the blessing we have is that we've got a deep bench, unlike the Democrats. I mean, they have nobody. They can, <laughs> they're going to run Joe Biden again. I mean, they, yeah, they have an um, incumbent that's going to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but they have to because they're they got slim pickings. Who are they going to put up? You know, oh Kamala, Pete Buttigieg. I mean, you know, uh, Gavin Newsom. I mean, they don't have anybody who's uh, who can step up, and so they they will be forced, I think, to run Joe Biden again. And and you know, you see the polling right now. I mean, a, a majority of Democrats don't want him to run, much less the Republicans. I think he's the worst president, certainly in my lifetime, and arguably of all time. Uh, and they're going to put him up again. So we should be able to win it. But we've got to get our, our, our troops and our plans together, and you make a really important point. It, it seems frustrating right now, but remember, there's a long way to go. Every day something new comes out that implicates not just the president's son, Hunter, but now about six other people in the Biden's family syndicate for financial wrongdoing that has, has to do with China and all that illicit money coming in. We find out 
it seems like every year now, wrongdoing. And it becomes a really big did, uh, deal. When I say wrongdoing, I'm talking about illegal action among people that are elected leaders. It seems like nothing ever gets done. Are they trying to run out the clock and praying that they can get another Democrat that would make all this go away in the White House? What is taking so long? <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned at the outset of our discussion here that China is related in so many ways to all of this. And and the reason that they are being so bold, the reason that they are pushing us around and trying to bully the United States, I mean, it's un- it would have been unthinkable even just a few years ago. But the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, has no fear of U.S. retaliation under under Joe Biden's leadership. I mean, they everybody sees now all of his family ties to the CCP and their affiliates and business entities. And if anything, the Chinese see Joe Biden as an ally. I mean, somebody they can take advantage of, and they're doing that. And so it's causing unrest around the globe. I mean, the whole the entire world order is in jeopardy because we're projecting weakness from the White House. And and it, it, it is such a serious problem. You know, Reagan always reminded us we maintain peace through strength. And it is the perception, just the perception of a strong America that holds terrorists and tyrants at bay, that holds these rogue nations and these dictators at bay. But if when they see Joe Biden stumbling up and down stairs and not able to put a sentence together, they figure, well, now's the time for us to make the moves. And so it, it, this is this is dangerous stuff. And, um, you know, elections do have consequences and we better get it right next time because we cannot afford uh, it, it much more of this. I'm not sure how long we can take it. Are we going to have war in this presidential administration? We certainly pray that that doesn't happen. But you've seen that our, you know, all of us in the in the, the House, our colleagues, and even among Democrats, we're in bipartisan fashion. We're we're having war game exercises now. We're trying to game the South to see what it looks like. Um, you know, many fear and project that China may go ahead and take a move on make a move on Taiwan. You know, and what will we do? Um, right now, they 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 can outgun us. They 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 have more equipment, more weapons, more soldiers, everything. Um, we're, you know, we've always tried to maintain since World War II the ability to, to fight two wars simultaneously. And right now, I mean, to be frank about it, we're not sure we could have one uh, against a, a foe like China. So they know that. We know that. Um, it's, it's a perilous situation. And I think the only reason that China is not, uh, you know, beginning an invasion of Taiwan is because of the economic toll that it would take on them. They need Americans to buy all their junk, you know. And uh, were it not for that, I fear that they might go ahead and make that move, but we're, we're, we're planning for every potential outcome. Um, the joint chiefs of staff and, and the Pentagon are working on this day and night. And we're trying to, you know, add uh, money to the, to the defense budget to make sure that we can match them pound for pound. And um, if we don't do that, um, <laughs> we're, we're going to, we're going to be in serious trouble. I've been trying to find some good in this administration and it's really not mm-hmm. easy. I was given a story I think it was Tuesday of this past week about corruption at the top of Ukraine regarding this war. And I checked it out and confirmed it in two sources. We published it. $400 million that we sent to Ukraine specifically to buy diesel for all the heavy equipment that we've sent over there, tanks, etc. And mm-hmm. Vladimir Zelensky cut a deal with Vladimir Putin and bought cut-rate yep. diesel, skimmed $400 million off the top, and split it up among Ukrainian warlords. I haven't heard anybody in Congress come out 
and blast that for happening. But it really did happen. Think about it. Vladimir Putin, the guy that's invading Ukraine, and Volodymyr Zelensky, who wants Putin dead, and some of that money went to Putin. What are we coming uh, nothing to? Sur- yeah, right, exactly. Nothing surprises me. I mean, they we we had testimony this this past week, uh, the end of the week, uh, in in one of our committees. Um, it was the House Oversight Committee, and the Inspector General, who's supposed to be watching over all the the you know expenditure of of precious U.S. taxpayer dollars in Ukraine. Uh, you'll if you hadn't seen those highlight clips, you'll you'll be seeing them. He he, you know, under oath, just looked him straight in the eye and said. Uh, I, I can't tell you where all those dollars are going, and I can't tell you they're being—they're not being misspent, you know. And this—this this is probably one of the examples he highlighted. I wasn't in that hearing, uh, but um, we'll, we're all going to be getting the details of it when we get back uh, this week. It's—it's um, it's, a—it's a serious problem, and and this is the reason that the appetite of the American people has waned. They don't want to send any more of our precious dollars over to Ukraine, and uh, because they don't know—they don't know how it's being spent. We, we have to defeat Vladimir Putin, but you've got to have uh, accountability for, for our hard-earned treasure, and it's a real problem. So we're demanding that. Um, if they can't put the mechanisms in place, I can tell you there is not going to be a majority vote in the House to send any more money over there, and that, that's, a, that's a problem. So um, you know they're going to have to demand it. They're going to have to ensure it, and, and uh, Zelensky needs to get his act together if indeed any of that is true, and it probably is. Um, there's a, that, that's a serious problem for the for the outcome of that conflict. Does this president have to have sign off by Congress to spend more money in Ukraine? Uh, well, it, if you ask him, he would say no. But I mean, <laughs> we have the power of the purse, of course, sure. right? And um, all the all expenditures need, are supposed to start in the House. He tries to do things with executive budgets and executive orders. But um, if he's going to send more money to Ukraine, it we it has to be voted on. And so um, we're. We're trying to hold a line on that because we simply can't afford it. Obviously, remember, too, that we're deeply in debt. We're $31.5 trillion uh, in debt ourselves and uh, facing our own fiscal cliff, and we can't afford to be rebuilding Ukraine. We can't even rebuild our own cities. And, um, you know, we, we came forward with uh, a budget proposal or, or a proposal on the, the debt ceiling, and our proposed plan cuts about $4.6 trillion in federal spending. And and so much of it is from woke liberal priorities and and these crazy expenditures like this where there's no accountability. We, de- you know, the, de- the American people demand accountability and and good stewardship, and they're owed that. And so it's our job to go ferret it out and make sure that's happening. So we're serious about it. You're going to hear much more about that in the weeks to come. And finally, the FBI. Christopher Ray, the FBI mm-hmm. director, is caught lying under oath. No accountability yet. The attorney general, his boss, by the way, is caught lying under oath. No accountability yet. Is there accountability for these big agencies? Well, the one big one in the FBI, FBI, which is under the DOJ, is there accountability there? And is there anything you and Congress can do, or does it take a president? Well, great question. I was on Charlie Kirk's uh, show a couple of days ago, and he just went off, and he's so frustrated. And he said, "All of my, all of our people in Turning Point are so frustrated that we want to see people go to jail. We want accountability." I said, "Charlie, you're right, my brother. Um, you're right. So do we. No one wants that more than Jim Jordan and I, and then those of us on Judiciary and the Weaponization Committee, because this is our job, our jurisdiction. But you got to remember this, okay? Remember, we only have. You know this well, Charlie, but your listeners may not." We only have the majority in one House of Congress, right? And and the, the powers, the constitutional authority that we have in the House 
I can't indict anybody. I can't perp walk them. I can't put them in jail. I can't put them on trial, except that I can put them on the trial, on trial in the court of public opinion, not not a, not a criminal court, but the court of public opinion. Our job is to investigate, to ferret out the truth, present it for the American people, to come up with legislative proposals going forward to make sure that this corruption can't happen again. And ultimately, do our best to force accountability for these folks. And but right now, see, um, the, you know, the, the 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 foxes are watching the hen house. Of course, you know, if if the Department of Justice was going to take action against someone for committing perjury, lying under oath, or uh, one of these other corrupt uh, practices, then you would have to get Merrick Garland himself to sign off on it. And he's what he's the worst culprit. So we're in a we're in a bind. So what you said there a moment ago is actually the truth. We actually really do have to win the White House back to truly straighten this out. We have to win both houses of Congress and the White House. If we get that aligned again, you will see serious accountability and and uh, in a in a change. But without that, I, I fear we're going to have more of what of what we're watching witnessing right now. Congressman, you're speaking to a lot of people that are not in your district. In fact, a lot of people that aren't even from the United States, but they look to this show for a lot of information from people like you. You're a Christian. Can you give us, everybody, some hope as we head down this dark road that every day gets darker and we're just not seeing any light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> you know, uh, I will, and thank you for saying that. Um, yesterday, Sunday, my, my 12-year-old was sick with strep throat, and so we didn't go to church. So he and I did a little devotional, and I, I don't know why, but it turned to Matthew 6 and, and uh, the words in red and Jesus, uh, that whole passage, whole section there about how he reminds us not to worry. And he says, don't worry, don't worry. And I asked my 12-year-old, I said, Will, why, does, why is that so important? Why did Jesus have to tell us that? I'm so directly like that. He goes, well, because we forget that he's in charge. I said, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, that's exactly right. That's the point. You got it, buddy, because at the end of the day, God is sovereign and he is in charge. And the reason I'm able to sleep at night, uh, Dan, is because of what John Quincy Adams reminded us. He said, you know what? Duty is ours. Results are God's. So all I can do is my duty. That's all you and I can do every day. And then we got to entrust the rest to the to the true sovereign. And I am convinced that God is not done with America yet. Uh, Reagan reminded us, as Lincoln did, that we're the last best hope of man on the earth. And we're dedicated to this proposition of one nation under God, a government of, by, and for the people, and keeping this republic. And I think we can. I really do believe that we're going to do it. It's going to be a hard fight, and we're, we're facing un unprecedented challenges, but I think we're going to get through it. Takes That's what good, keeps me going every day. Takes good leadership and good followers, and we're going to do our part, and I know you're doing yours. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us. You're welcome here anytime. Thank you, brother. Great to talk with you. God bless. You know, there, there are so many things. Uh, Mike is a personal friend. He's never, and, and you need to hear what I'm about to say and put this somewhere in your memory. I've never, in all the times he's come on this show, and he's here at least once, sometimes two, maybe three times a month, I've never one time been told what questions to ask him. I've never been told what I can't ask him and I'm I, I you just heard here it is Monday morning he's got so many things moving parts going on and I asked him some tough questions and it sounded to me like he answered honestly I don't think we feel that we're getting that across the board from those who represent us in DC certainly not from the White House
Now, listen, if you listen today to hear the congressman come on and make everything go away, everything bad go away, all our fears, that didn't happen, did it? It didn't hear. I wish I had more time. There at the end, I wanted to jump in and ask him a few more things, but I've got to respect his time. I want him to come back. Maybe we can do like a a one-on-one. Maybe I can get him like on a weekend and just sit down with him and do like an hour-long thing. Maybe get ahead of time, get you guys to send in some questions to ask him. He's just one person. There are 535 of them in Congress. Think about that. 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate. There are a lot of moving parts. And what I really wanted to launch into right at the end before he had to go was, do you think it is absolutely necessary to win the presidency and both houses of Congress before we're going to be able to get any accountability back in our government. That doesn't happen very often anyway. Why can't we just get reasonable people that are willing to sit down with other reasonable people with which there may be some discrepancy of what one side thinks and the other disagrees with? I mean, isn't that built in in a democracy where you reach a consensus by talking to each other, debating, bringing in witnesses. A long time ago, maybe two years ago, Congressman Johnson came on the show and he said, when I asked him what's the most important thing that's missing, he told us and he explained what it is, regular order. No, regular order is something that has not been used in the House of Representatives since before Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House. Regular order works this way. When somebody wants to introduce a piece of legislation in the House, they turn it in to the Speaker. The Speaker has sole authority to determine which pieces of potential legislation are allowed to even be considered. If the House Speaker... When they get these bills, if they want to pass it out, assign it to committees and subcommittees, then those pieces of legislation or wannabe legislation, they go to the various committees that are over it. Those committees hold hearings. They bring in witnesses. They present evidence. Then they talk about the specific bill, the one they're considering. They may want to add some amendments to the pieces of legislation. Very seldom does a piece go all the way through the process, end up getting signed into law unless there's amendments that are proposed. Nancy Pelosi would not let one bill be discussed for amending. Think about that. You introduce a piece of legislation, if it goes to the floor, it's going to pass. They knew, Democrats knew And therefore, she wouldn't let one go to any committees unless she knew and could control it all the way through. And during her tenure, her last tenure as Speaker, not one bill was amended. Amendments, discussions, debate weren't even allowed. It didn't go to committee. Regular order means it goes to committee. When it, if it comes through committee, 
after all of the work that they do, hearings, amendments proposed, debated, votes being taken, and then a final vote being taken by the entire committee goes back to the House to be considered. Then it goes to the floor to be debated more and even amendments to be considered from those on the full floor, 435 members of the House. If it passes there, only then it goes to the Senate. Regular order means over there it goes through the same process. It is not easy to really pass legislation in a representative republic if it's being used as our forefathers designed it to be used. Only now. Did you see any committee hearings and stuff like that when Nancy Pelosi was House Speaker? No. Why? There weren't any. There weren't any. Democrats would have their minions crafting bills, and the only time we ever seen or heard anything about them, remember? They would finish them in the wee hours of the morning. They would go to the floor the next day to be voted on. That was it. I'd like to have that conversation with him. We don't, I, I was really, we normally are not able to keep him over 20 minutes because he's busy, but he was with us almost 30 minutes there. And so, and so, here we are. We're back. We're trying to create something out of a word salad. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's tough for me. What's ahead? Coming up in this half hour, Larry Kudlow, Sean Duffy, Dagan McDowell, and they're going to talk about the Hunter laptop and more stuff coming out. That's up next. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. 
justice the American way. The Truth News Network. Once again, here's Dan Newman. We only have about 25 minutes left in the show today. I want to get to this Cudlow, Sean Duffy, and Dagan McDowell conversation about the Hunter Biden laptop. Look, 51 intelligence agents, heads, came out and signed that letter during the campaign. You remember that? They knew, they all knew the Hunter laptop was real. I wonder why all 51 signed it. One was asked why he signed that letter, and he said, because I wanted Joe Biden to win. That makes sense. Dagan, Sean Duffy, Larry Kudlow. All right, as I said earlier, in my riff, the Biden cabinet's abuse of power to protect Joe Biden is pathetic, dirty political tricksters. That is Mr. Blinken, and that is Mr. Garland. I'm sorry, that's what the evidence is suggesting. Join me now to talk about this and maybe a few other things. Sean Duffy and Dagan McDowell, the fabulous co-hosts of the great new show, The Bottom Line, which plays right here on Fox Business. It is a pleasure to have you back on our set. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Larry, thanks for having us live and in person. So look at Dagan, I'm just going to start out. Um, We learned from Mike Morell's testimony uh, to the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, right? Morell, who was a deputy director of the CIA, a big job. He wanted to be CIA director. He didn't get it. So he squealed and said, yeah, he had something to do with the letter, uh, the 51 intelligence guys that said the New York Post article was wrong and it was all Russian disinformation. But it turns out, this is my point, that the quarterback, the big guy behind this letter, was Antony Blinken, who played a dirty tricks political role, has been our secretary of state now these two and a half years, and not a very good one either. And I'm saying that is the lowest kind of politics that has no business in a lofty, important position such as he has. That's my problem. Uh, You can plumb the depths of the swamp, And you can wade into the morass, though, given the fact that Joe Biden is coming on the uh, on the heels of Hillary Clinton, though. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. again, you can you can get dirty and get covered in mud. That that's kind of my point is like this is to be expected. Mm. It doesn't excuse it. But Tony Blinken is one of the only people in the entire Biden administration with even kind of a sliver of dignity left or even a sliver of competence. But what it speaks to... Before this came out. Yeah. Before this came out, he was clean. He's been ineffectual, but he was clean. He is no longer clean. He now descends, really, to the depths of a dirty political not, trickster if I, he was behind this letter. I'm not excusing this. But what I find shocking about it is that he was setting in motion this mm-hmm. letter mm-hmm. written by 51 intelligence officials calling this Hunter Biden laptop the Russian disinformation. They had to, again, that for a year and a half before this, they had been setting up Hunter Biden, trying to get all the bad information out there about him, the New Yorker article in 2019. Why did they, why did they care about this laptop story? Because they knew it was true, right? right. They knew that they didn't know what was in it. So it would probably implicate the president. But they expected the worst to be in it. Right. Don't you think that's fair? Absolutely. I mean, the money train, Sean, we we haven't seen it yet. 
But there's certainly been hints around the edges that the money train goes right into Joe Biden in the Oval Office. So, we haven't seen, but we've, you know, little right. hints here and there. We haven't seen it uh, yet, Larry, but it's easy to find out, right? Uh, a basic forensic audit of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's finances would show whether Joe Biden was making money from Hunter or not. Mm. It's really easy to do. They do this in, in cases all through the FBI. Who should, who does? does the FBI this, does. Yeah, does this IRS guy do it or is he just a tax guy? No, I think was, well, they, 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 could, they could do it at the IRS, but I think it's more of an FBI investigation because the IRS is, is, is Hunter Biden. But if, if Joe Biden made money off of Hunter Biden while he was the vice president, mm -hmm. that's FBI material. Mm -hmm. But here's what I find interesting on, on the Blinken front. Um, the fact that, of course, he's going to play politics. He wants Joe Biden to win. But the U.S. have 51 former intel officers signing their name to a document saying these have all the markings of Russia disinformation um, when they had no clue whether this was Russian dis disinformation or not. And I, you mentioned kind of this is, this is unheard of in American politics. But this would be unacceptable. At this level. At, mind at you, level. I'm talking about... I, I know all about dirty tricks. Some of my best friends have been engaged in dirty <laughs> tricks for years. But at this level. But this would never be acceptable in any Republican administration. Right. It's only acceptable in a Democrat administration because the media doesn't care. Well, the not, media actually pressured them and pushed them on all these dirty tricks. Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, was the CFO for Hillary Clinton and more than likely approved the dossier payment, oh. which started four years of Russia collusion. Okay. Yeah. The dirty tricks of dirty tricks here. And the media is like, we don't care because we won because Joe Biden won. That, that was the only point I was trying to make is when you're coming off of Hillary Clinton's foul-smelling mm -hmm. campaign, mm -hmm. this is to be expected, not excusable. All I want to say, Dagan, with that, I don't mean to interrupt. No, no. Uh, but I just want to say... This was not always the way high politics were conducted. In other words, Charlie Hurt made this point. Not every Democratic administration has dirty tricksters at the Secretary of State or the Justice Department. There have been some very distinguished diplomats coming out of the old Democratic Party. Just want to say that. Um, Republicans have done better. Nixon notwithstanding, but that had nothing to do with the State Department or Henry Kissinger. So that's very important. You couldn't imagine a Mike Pompeo concocting a letter, just, you know, a lying letter just to help Biden in the debate. You just couldn't, ima you couldn't imagine a George Shultz doing such a thing. This is not just to help Biden in the debate. This is to help deflect a criminal investigation. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, th focused on Hunter, but ultimately has always been about the Biden family and Joe Biden. This started under Barack Obama's presidency. And I will just quote Andy McCarthy. Mm -hmm. When Barack Obama as president put Joe Biden in appointment role for American foreign policy, as to those regimes that people around the world, those regimes suddenly thought it was expedient in their interest to pay millions of dollars to Hunter Biden and the Biden family. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. What did they think they were uh, buying? No, no, good. The, the important point. Uh, okay, good point. One last point on this. The Democrat Party is, is, has been consumed with disinformation, right? Yeah. And usually they're focused on people on the right. These are some of the greatest disinformation campaigns that have ever been run by a, by a, by a political party and now by a government bringing in you know, private enterprise like Facebook and Twitter before oh. Elon Musk was there. Mm. These are the prepared, uh, 
portrayers of of misinformation, and they're focused on Republicans. It's yeah. unbelievable how and, they have spun this, and and the, the their crimes are now the crimes of their opponents. And don't forget, you know, we're talking about th there's four top cabinet jobs: mm -hmm. state, defense, justice, and treasury. That's the the big four. Yeah. So you got state, okay, with the dirty tricks. Yeah. You got Merrick Garland in the yeah. Justice Department, and everybody, we don't know yet, but everybody thinks this IRS whistleblower is going to finger him as the guy uh, who right. lied, in, you know, under oath. Who's covering for Hunter, which is covering for, I mean, for, for Joe. And it's two out, of, two out of four of the highest agencies in the U.S. government involved in dirty right. political tricks. And just, just one more thing. Having been a journalist for 30 years... Every journalist I originally worked for, everyone wanted to be the next Woodward, the next Bernstein. And nobody with any stones is chasing any of this. Yeah, it's really bad. If, Gar I if Garland's caught lying to Congress, where does that get referred to? If who's caught? If Garland is, re is, is caught for lying to the Congress by this whistleblower and he has documentation, I don't the, the case is referred to Garland himself. <laughs> and just referred to Jim Jordan. I got to get out there. All right. Achilles screaming at me. I say we're chasing it. You all so are So we have stones. You have Figuratively. stones. You have stones. Larry has That's stones. a hell of a pink place, <laughs> by the way. Thank you, sir. Sean and Dagan, thank you. Dagan McDowell, Larry Kudlow, and Sean Duffy. Bringing out the very facts there, there is definitely a double standard in the rule of law, enforcement of law in this administration. And it's scary because nobody knows who's going to be favored, who will get by, who will be treated fairly would be sufficient for me. You heard the story about former FBI special agent friend that we opened the show with today. He just asked some questions about the January 6th and the way it was blown out. The information was blown way out of proportion. That's all he did was ask and he lost his job and he's on the bullseye now of the FBI Department of Justice probably forever. You know, somebody else kind of in that particular position right now is independent journalist Matt Taibbi. He's the Twitter files guy, remember? Elon Musk turned all of the uh, details of the Twitter files over to Matt Taibbi first, and he went public with it. Of course, it all began to roll out then about how much big tech was in the heads of this administration or vice versa, and the administration was actually in cahoots with Twitter doing all kinds of anti-First Amendment stuff, telling us lies, preventing facts to be given to us over and over and over again. Over the weekend, Taibbi brought out he has now been threatened by a member of Congress with jail time. Jail time. Why? Because he reported what he read and saw and the information that was given to him by Elon Musk and Twitter. Can you imagine if something like this had happened during the Trump years? If Republicans had threatened somebody like, oh, I don't know, Jim Acosta, sitting on the front row every day, challenging Donald Trump, ugly, getting in his face, and Trump getting in Acosta's face. Just think about it. What if Donald Trump or somebody in his administration had threatened Acosta with five years in prison? Think about that. You would have had every human rights organization on earth complaining about it, but not a peep, not a word about so-called 
colleagues of Matt Taibbi. Nobody's talking about it after he got threatened. Taibbi brings up some good points. He said, it doesn't matter what journalist it is. They should be upset about that happening because it could be them next. Stacy Plaskett, who's a Democrat from the Virgin Islands, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, sent a letter to Taibbi earlier this month regarding his testimony during that March 9th hearing. We played part of that hearing for you back in March. In her letter, she alleged, including an error regarding the name of one of the federal agencies swept up in the Twitter files. She cited MSNBC host Mehdi Hassan's contentious interview with Taibbi about the Twitter files in his reporting. It was a very minor mistake, Taibbi said. He was talking to Brian Kilmeade of Fox News. The arrow was a specific reference to CISA, C-I-S-A, the government's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. When he meant to refer to CIS, drop the A on the end. CIS is the Center for Internet Security, which is a private organization. Taibbi later addressed and corrected his error in his reporting. So Plaskett pointed to Taibbi's statement in her letter, and she wrote that it is contradicted by your own admission. This mistake, she said, is important because by adding an A, you weren't making a harmless spelling error. Rather, you were alleging that CISA, a government entity, was working with the Election Integrity Partnership to have posts removed from social media. That was in Plaskett's letter to Taibbi. When presented with this misinformation, you acknowledge you made an error by intentionally altering the acronym CIS and you subsequently deleted your erroneous tweet. She wasn't done. Now keep in mind who this is. She continued, prior to your appearance before the subcommittee on March 9th, you signed the Judiciary Committee's Truth and Testimony form certifying that you understand that, quote, knowingly providing material false information to this committee or knowingly concealing material information from this committee is a crime under 18 U.S.C. 1001. In addition, at the beginning of the March 9th hearing, you swore under penalty of perjury that the testimony you were about to give was true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief. Under the Federal Perjury Statute, 18 U.S.C. 1621, prove dividing false information is punishable by up to five years in prison. Five years. She threatened a journalist over an honest mistake in testimony before her subcommittee, where she's the ranking member. In other words, she's a Democrat, and she's the number one Democrat on this particular committee. The specific comments Taibbi told Congress that Plaskett cited were correct, despite the original error in his Twitter files reporting. Taibbi called his error a brain cramp and noted both that both groups actually partnered with state entities. Now, this may be deep 
This may be a little hard to follow in understanding, but what I'm pointing out here is it definitely is a two-tiered point of view in the Biden administration and in this Congress. It is definitely different. And a whole different set of rules if you're a Republican or a Democrat. CNN's Oliver Darcy did not mention the threats against Taibbi in his Reliable Sources newsletter. His newsletter covers the media industry, often frets about attacks on journalists. This would be, I think, when a member of Congress threatens you with five years in jail for making an honest mistake. Darcy and other liberal media colleagues have been largely dismissive of the Twitter files reporting. Obviously, they don't want to get caught up in it because they were caught up in it. At one point, several left-wing reporters were left embarrassed when they used clearly coordinated language when they accused Taibbi on Twitter of doing PR work for the world's richest man. That would be Elon Musk. A CNN spokesman did not respond when he was asked if Acosta had comments on Taibbi's comparison. Back in 2018, Acosta was, we saw him every day. He was CNN's senior White House correspondent when the Trump-era White House had his press pass suspended. While he wasn't facing anything close to jail time, the media industry rallied around Acosta's hard pass which provides expedited access to the White House grounds, was suspended after he engaged in a really nasty back and forth with Trump during a press conference. At one point, refusing to pass the microphone to a female White House aide. In fact, he jerked it out of her hands. His pass was restored after CNN argued that it violated the network and Acosta's First and Fifth Amendment rights. Don't you dare touch our rights while we trample all over yours. That's what this is all about. Acosta, he lost his shining spot after Trump left the presidency. He now hosts a very, very left-wing weekend program for CNN. He emerged as one of the most outspokenly liberal White House reporters during the Trump era, earning a book deal in the process. That's what it's all about. Money, money, money. He was criticized by his colleagues. In other words, those in media, reporters, show hosts. They criticized him for a showboating style that was heavier on style than on substance. I I couldn't put it any better than that. Tybee had a falling out with Elon Musk after Musk cracked down on content from the subscription newsletter platform Substack, which Taibbi publishes his work on. Little things like this, honestly, they're really not little things. They're big things. And you put them all together and you just shake your head going, oh my gosh, what in the heck is going on out there? There is a lot going on. There's no question about it. Somebody else you wouldn't expect to bring up anything that had substance. HBO host Bill Maher. The other night he talked about the perpetrators and victims of inner city crime and potential solutions. Had a panel on his show. And he talked about what's going on in gun violence. And Bill Maher, even though he's a Democrat, 
He's got a great show. I like it. I watch it from time to time, not because I agree with him almost all of the time, but because the topics are always very controversial. And typically, Marr will bring some reason into those conversations. Now, don't get me wrong. He very seldom is positive for any conservative ideal. But in this particular case, here's what he said that grabbed my attention. He asked about gun violence and where most of the killing in inner city crime comes from. And he pointed something out that you're not supposed to say. Most of the criminality using guns is black young men shooting other black young men. And Bill Maher asked in this show when he had this panel on there, with some leftists, you would expect that they would speak up. And he asked them, why is nobody talking about black crime on other blacks, including gun violence? He didn't really get an answer. That shouldn't surprise you. Thank you so much for being here today. We enjoyed having Mike Johnson. If you missed the interview with him, go grab it at your favorite podcast site. It'll be there. It's there every day within 10 or 15 minutes after the show completes. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow back here at TNN Live. So long, everybody.